Nathan. Yeah. I did it. What? I finally found somebody to talk to on here that my girlfriend was really excited about. Okay. <laughs> She's not big into video games, but uh, that Triple Town game I was talking to you about, she actually got me into that. Okay. So today we have Pat Kemp from Spry Fox, uh, did some stuff with Zynga, Gasworks Games, um, I think Microsoft, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, some stuff for Forza. Microsoft is joining us today. How's it going, sir? It's going well. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Woke up not too long ago, and I'm feeling sick, so that's fantastic. However, it's my weekend. Yeah, I'm actually feeling a little sick as well, so we're in the same boat. Sweet. Nathan, how sick are you on a scale of 1 to disgusting? What's Wait, is disgusting like a 10 or? Like a 20, maybe? Oh, I'm probably just like a 3 or something. A little snip. Okay. <clears throat> so we're all sick. Great. Nathan, less so. I'm contagious, though, so I'm probably the worst out of all of us, but whatever. Anyways, so, Pat. I DC'd. Great. Was that you or me? That was me. Okay. And maybe Nathan? I don't know what's going on. He's still trying to join the call, I guess. Hey. Hey. <clears throat> I disconnected us. Oh, okay. Yeah. Internet's shady today. I don't know why. Okay. We'll have to look into that after. Anyways, um... Sorry, I just lost my foot in here and something shut down on me, so now I gotta restart it. <laughs> Perfect. Because when the Skype drop the recorder did too okay yeah okay there we go <clears throat> back up and running here All right, so Pat, you are Seattle-based, working yep. for Spry Fox currently, right? Right. Okay, so uh, what games have you done with Spry Fox besides Triple Town? Um, so for Triple Town, I helped with the, um, the Capital City update, so I wasn't with Spry Fox when it was initially released. Okay. Uh, and uh, since then, I've been helping with High Grounds and Leap Day. And doing a lot of work with uh, Steambirds Forever, which is not out yet, but <laughs> hopefully be out soon. All right, fair enough. Uh, it says here you've also worked for Zynga. Yeah, yeah, right before Firefox, about a year and a half ago. Were you part of the big cuts they made? Uh, no, I actually, um, let's see, timing-wise, I think I left a little before that happened. Okay. Uh, so... Yeah, I can't remember who we were talking to. We were talking to somebody that did something with Zynga, and they kind of got screwed over by them or something. <laughs> I don't remember what that was all about. Did you enjoy yeah. your time there? Um, yes and no. I mean, it was a it was a fun experience, and um, you know, I really liked the people I worked with. Um, the the company I was with 
before Zynga Gasworks Games. Yeah. Like a start startup, and we all kind of got hired up together. Oh, okay. Does, um, does Gasworks still exist then, or did Zynga kind of buy them out? Um, I'm not sure about the specifics of the deal, but they they were essentially bought up. Oh, okay, gotcha. But um, yeah, so we all we all went to Zynga together, and uh, it was great. I mean, that was like around the time when Zynga um was going public. So they were like spending tons of money and having these really extravagant parties and stuff. Um, so it was a lot of it was a lot of flash and a lot of fun in that sense. But um, you know, after I was there for like about a year, it sort of just dawned on me that I was kind of working at Zynga, and mm. it was kind of wearing me wearing me down a little. A little. So uh, when I got the offer uh, to go to Sprite Fox, I took it. Did you work on any of the Facebook games that people are spending their lives and money into? Oh yeah, totally. Um, let's see, I worked on, um, I did a, a little work on, uh, the movie Rush One. That was what I was working on when I left. And, um, uh, before that, I did some help on, uh, Hidden Chronicles. So, just kind of like, when we, when we were first brought on, it was kind of, oh, they're still forming the Seattle studio and, and doing things like that, so our efforts were kind of scattered over a couple projects. Uh, okay, so you were working in Seattle as like a side company, like an office in Seattle where their headquarters is somewhere in California, isn't it? Yeah, San Francisco. So we we worked for in San Francisco for a couple months to get sort of like brought up to speed on the ways and get those things, and then sent back to Seattle to kind of grow up the Seattle offices. Yet another one of their satellite studios. Is the Seattle office pretty big now? Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't been there for a while. It's, I think I visited like a few months ago, but yeah, it's it's definitely growing. Yeah, well, that's kind of cool. So, did you get any valuable experience from working on that stuff with them? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, you got a got a really kind of interesting perspective into their kind of company culture and the way they the way they do things, the way they um, um, look at making games, you know, kind of radically different than the way I like to do it. But um, I think until I worked at Zynga, I had this sort of like image of them. And as, as you know, that's probably not a whole lot different than some other people's image of, of Zynga. Sure. Um, <clears throat> You know, they're kind of like giant soulless conglomerate. It's steel like monolithic games. comes to mind. Yeah, and, and you know, like like totally uncreative, like they just you know steal ideas and stuff. Um, and in a way, there you know, effectively, there is some of that going on. Like there's you know the concept of a of a fast follow. You know, we're basically making a competitor's product and, and trying to outmarket people. Um, when they when they see something that's kind of working in the marketplace, but what kind of astounded me is is just the the, the huge amount of really creative, really talented people working there. Um, mm-hmm. Just like, and you know, some of them some of them kind of like fresh out of college, just really bright, talented programmers, and others, you know, like game industry veterans that have been you know around for ten or fifteen years, and like you know, design games that I played when I was a kid and just like people you'd really look up to, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so there's just a, there's a lot of that at, at Zynga. And, and, and again, this is speaking, you know, I, I left over a year ago. So things have definitely 
probably changed a little since then. But what was, would you say the average like team size was there? Was it pretty small or? Oh uh, no, it was it was pretty large. Um, like 50, I, 60 people or? Uh yeah, at least for for the large titles. Yeah. Oh okay okay. I was like thinking like oh maybe it's like they're really big but they still have that kind of small groups within it that kind of do stuff. But. Yeah, I mean they definitely have like a. a I mean our our while we were in Zynga was pretty small. Well, when I was at Zynga, it was pretty small, um, which made it, you know, difficult for us to track traction and everything, but um, the, you know, like the Farmville teams and stuff were like, you know, I don't remember specific numbers, but close to 100. Okay, okay. So that's that's way bigger than I would have thought. Okay. Yeah, way bigger than I would have thought. I heard they had really good benefits there, too. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, especially the time we spent at the... Uh, the San Francisco office, like, um, just the perks, the employee perks around the office were, were pretty, were pretty nice. I, I gotta admit, it was, it was kind of fun. Was, I mean, after a while, it got, it kind of wore on me too. Like, it was a little much, but, you know, like, parties all the time, free haircuts, free massages, free. Like, great walking. food all the time in the cafeteria for free and just stuff like that. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Free breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's like really, you have no reason to, to leave the office, and you know, part. It's like that campus mentality or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's Great. also in a part of San Francisco that's kind of like bereft of any decent food or or places to socialize, except with a few exceptions. So it's kind of like, where would you go? Like, if you mm-hmm. <laughs> just go to work, hang out there, have some food with some friends there. There you go. Exactly. Hmm. But I'm guessing Spry Fox is pretty cool too. <laughs> like we don't want to discount your current employer, so. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like that, that stuff about Zynga was was cool. Um, and then the kind of like flashy, like wow, I'm not using this sort of sense. But after a while, it it just kind of it got old. Um, so, but but yeah, Spry Fox's its setup is totally different. We we don't really have a central office. Um, we're we're a small company. We do stuff, you know, very much kind of like DIY style and, and just sort of uh, uh, a lot more personal, a lot more, um, I don't know, a lot of kind of, um, it, it feels more like family. That sounds kind of corny, but um, I don't know, just uh, I have a lot more like like close relationships with the, the people I work with at Sprite Fox. Well, that's, that's been a bit of a trend we've had with a... Uh Specifically, the indie house people we've talked to, like that kind of small group hanging out all the time, being able to collaborate whenever it makes sense, whatever. Like that's that's kind of the bonuses of a small team, it seems. Yeah, for sure, I would definitely agree with that. How was it working for Microsoft doing some card detailing, basically digital card detailing? <laughs> um, so that was my that was my first job out of school, um, and. You know, same with, same with my sort of Zynga store. It was like, it was a, it was good and bad. You know, um, I really, really loved the, the team I, I worked with directly on a base, on a day by day basis. Just really, really fun, talented people. Um, and, you know, I mean, the work was, was interesting. You know, I've never really been much of a, like a car guy. Um, and a lot of my job was sort of like looking at, you know, three models of cars and then comparing those, 
how those cars looked to like photographs of the actual car and making sure they're they're right and then also check in for like technical things so they work in game properly but it was funny you know i worked there for like three years off and on doing contract work and by the end i inadvertently i like learned a lot about cars and stuff so i just find myself yeah. <laughs> walking by i was like oh mm-hmm. dude, that's a that's a shelby cobra that's like really rare and my friend's like <laughs> talking about I'm like i i don't know i just know that <laughs> and i could tell you exactly how to model that in about 10 minutes yeah exactly <laughs> are there any cars that you wish you had been able to work on like for uh, forza that's like you should put this in the game because I really want to do those bubble dome headlights or something weird like that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. Like, I think everyone on that team has a car like that. They're, you know, and a lot of the guys are total car head, you know, gearhead. So they, they have very strong opinions. Um, mine is like, you know, I have a, like, my sort of dream car is really kind of a, a stupid dream car because it's, it's actually a pretty affordable car. I could just, <laughs> I could just go put da- a down payment down on it. And- yeah, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's like an entry level, or I guess it was an entry level, uh, Porsche from back in the day, the, the 944 with like the flip up headlights. It's kind of like a hatchbacky rear end kind of thing. Um, it's a cool looking car. I really like it. And, um, I would, I think I would, I would get a kick out of, uh, working on that if I was still at Did you ever get the urge to just like model and put in your own car into like a test build or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we, we joked about it, you know, I think when I was working at, 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 at Microsoft, I drove like a Honda Accord, like a hatchback, like an 86, like just old piece of crap. And, uh, um, and, and I was just kind of like, oh, we should totally put my car in the game. And, and, um, but yeah, the amount of work it would require to, uh, to model a car and put it in the game, uh, let's just say like it wouldn't, the joke would stop being funny like about four hours in. <laughs> when you got a team of like a hundred people busting their balls to get like a nineteen ninety one Cavalier into this yeah, sport I, racing game. Yeah, exactly. Alright. It says here you also worked for her interactive. Now I mean, this might not be anything to most people because like Nancy Drew games and stuff. However, it's kinda weird because I have been wanting to try a Nancy Drew game. For a while now, and I think I said it on one of our podcasts even. Which ones have you worked on? Like, what should I look for in a Nancy Drew product? The, the, um, so I think the, I'm trying to remember the title. It was something at White Wolf Creek. Mystery at White Wolf Creek or something like that. Okay. Um, okay. But, um, so when I, I, and I only worked there for like a month and a half, so it was really brief, but, <laughs> Um, so what I was doing there was localization work, which is, you know, basically they had the games in English and they were wanting to release them, I think for, oh gosh, I can't remember the languages, but there are a couple, there, there wanted to release it to a couple, uh, other languages. And so I was actually working on several of their older existing titles and just going back and, um, uh, they had already translated all the kind of in-game text, and I was the one who, like, so if they, like, rendered a 3D scene and it came, like, a a, a a sign said exit or something on it, like, it was, like, a you know, an exit door, um, like, I would the one that would go in and change 
the graphics. So instead of saying exit, it would say exit in some other language. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. <laughs> Which sounds super dull and boring, but it was actually really fun. And like, um, there's a lot of, a surprising amount of like problem solving and everything. Like it was kind of like, um, a lot of like, you know, photoshopping skills from like high school where you'd like, you know, like, take a photograph and, and, and photoshop it. So something, you know, was funny or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, you know, it's like, oh, it's kind of, you know, the word exits at this weird angle. How am I going to make it so this Russian word sits there at the same angle and, and, and stuff like that? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. How am I going to Photoshop a vodka bottle into her hand for this Russian version? Exactly. Or for this Asian version, a straw hat. How yeah. There you go. That, that, <laughs> Assuming there's more nuance to it <laughs> than making everything really type. racist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, vodka. I mean, that is like 90% of localization. It's just racism. Different racist stereotypes. Yeah, totally. That would actually be one of the funnest jobs, and I'm just going to go ahead. All the Italian stuff that happens between Mario and the Assassin's Creed games. (laughs) There's a lot to, I don't know, a lot to be desired. But uh, the Nancy Drew games are basically kind of adventure games. Is there a photo hunt element to it? Or I haven't actually played them. But yeah, is I mean, it, they're, kind of, they're kind of like point-and-click adventures, and then they have like little puzzle mini games. Like, okay. And so I don't know. They, they might have had some photo photo hunt stuff in there, but the only like wolf one I saw was the White Wolf of Icicle Creek. That's so it. That, that's that's there it. you go. So check that out. White that's Wolf. Not, like switch it to Russian. Can you even access that content <laughs> in the version here, or is it? Oh, I have no idea. I'm oh, sure okay. you can find a torrent. Just saying. <laughs> what? Why do you advocate that? Because why would you buy Russian games? Like, you could buy the actual game and then just download a well, Russian hoping, version. That's what I'm saying. I'm hoping you could just buy it here and then switch it to Italian or Russian, and then you get all that sweet alternate signs. That could happen. Yeah. I'm just... Hopefully. What's a Russian word for exit? Are you asking me? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I copy and pasted them from a spreadsheet. Okay. Okay. Fair I enough. I don't. I don't know. Oh, okay. Shit. So that's just all provided, and you have to do the like, blend it into the environment and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Oh. Okay. So is that like a nine to five sort of like job where you go into an office just like, well, I got to hit the grindstone and get these weird symbols into this exit sign today, sort of thing, or like, is it kind of like, hey, we need this done, so they just send you a file and you do it at home or whatever? Uh, no, it was kind of like the nine to five thing, actually. Like, is there jobs in the game industry that are nine to five? I've like, there seems to be a perception that's like, oh man, no, like crunch time is all all the time. You're working. So, so the games, ship games, you gotta be committed. Like, I don't know if that's a generalization or not, but no, I mean, I, I think that's that's that that is a fairly typical of of sort of like the mainstream game industry. But okay, um, her interactive is, I mean, at least while I was there. Um, you know, they really had their stuff together because their games okay. were, you know, they used the same engine on all their games. And, you know, they only had like, at, at the time, like two programmers on staff because they almost never had to add new functionality. Like it was a very, very predictable development cycle. Okay. So it's just so, slotting new stories and new scenarios into the same framework. Yeah, exactly. So as a result, they could, they could plan things very accurately. And you didn't need a crunch because crunch is a result of of miscalculating, you know, 
production times and, and you know, running past deadlines and stuff. So they, okay. Could, okay. they could totally do a, a nine to five, uh, uh, predictable work schedule. That's okay. You just don't often hear that, I guess, but that's, that's nice. Yeah. I guess I think it's just cause, you know, stories like that don't really make headlines or whatever on Kotaku or something. Yeah. Where it's like, uh, uh, well, I mean, to bring this up, like Phil Fish spending years on this game or whatever. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd bring that up because that just happened. That was well, I just mean like for the headlines, like okay. single indie dev spends whole life. Nobody loves his game sort of thing is a better headline than dude goes to job nine to five, 40 hours a week sort of thing. Really, a pretty good. Oh, like game. you're saying, there's like there's no scandal there. It's just like yeah, it's a well managed ship that everyone's fine. Yeah, there's exactly. Five there's has no story there. there. It's just kind of like no, they released this really good game and they all worked very hard on it, putting their 40 hours a week in, but they didn't have to do overtime because they had a guy that knew what they were doing and said, "You get the Phil Fish goes crazy because he doesn't know how to manage time or people on the internet." <laughs> <laughs> so. That wasn't the headline either, but okay, I got you. It, it kind of was for some of the articles. That, you know what? We're getting off topic. I guess, I don't know. Like, Pat, <laughs> do you have any thoughts on, did you see the Meltdown stuff yesterday? Or uh, No, I, I, I totally missed that. Oh, okay. Fish okay. basically told a guy in the uh, gaming press to go kill himself, and then he cried and said, Fez 2 is canceled now. <laughs> Just like, okay. <laughs> Fez, well, it was- Fez didn't need a second. Like you were probably just gonna release it for money, so I don't know. I'd I'd still sympathize with all parties involved. It was sure a situation, but like yeah. But what I heard that guy's just kind of a douche too. Well, but I I like okay. The way I've kind of looked at it is, you know how Jonathan Blow got all that weird feedback post braid and didn't handle it well for a while. Like, like I don't. I still don't think he handles it very well. But it's not. A, no longer a thing because break. Well, like isn't. when like the eyes of the world suddenly descend on like a pretty normal person. Sure, and yeah, yeah. You don't know how to handle it. Like he finally had that moment like within the last year or two, and didn't handle the pressure as well. You know, so he, yeah, it, it was kind of weird to see unfold. Like wake up that morning and see a fight erupting on Twitter, and then like later see oh this game this high profile indie game has been canceled over it was kind of weird to see but i don't know like we're sorry to like sidetrack so thoroughly pat did you play fez or uh yeah i played it in a while yeah i saw like indie game the movie so that Uh, that's the big touchstone for all this stuff is indie game the movie but yeah i mean you know i can't speak to the recent stuff with phil fish but like you know having watched that movie and you know it it, you know sort of painted him in a certain light of being you know very kind of like high strong and yeah, like to emotional outbursts and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember like I, I was reading, reading up on him at some point and like, um, I can't remember how old he was when that was going on, but he was like really young, like early, early, early twenties. Mm-hmm. And I was, and, and I, it just, it just occurred to me like, I was like, yeah, actually, if I were like, you know, early twenties and I had suddenly this kind of like, small cult following in this very kind of like uh insulated community like you know indie, indie video games and then like someone's making a documentary about me like i don't know i mean i i i wouldn't be convinced that i'd be you know the most like come off as the most rational uh you know level-headed person either it's just like i don't know I, sure. I think it's 
it's it's one of those weird things like like you said he, he might be a totally ordinary guy but there's just a lot of stressful uh stressful uh, things going on and and you know when he when he kind of has an emotional uh, blow up that that's sort of what catches the most attention so you get this right. sort of myopic view of his personality of this you know, crazy guy I don't know. I, I I don't know the guy, so I can't really speak to his personality. Sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. He's got that French rage behind him too. So yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. we'll just dismiss everything with generalized racial stereotypes. Localization of Fez. Gross. Everything is okay. angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for French people. Uh, I, I don't know. It was just. I I still think there's more to that story that'll unfold, but it was sure. Just, it was certainly like just seeing like a high profile indie person kind of get just fold under pressure i guess you could say like just not not be able to take like kind of snarky criticism and like yeah like grace under pressure is kind of a high high mark you know like that's a weird thing to ask well he's already proven that he can't handle that there's a reason why he wasn't on twitter for the whole time Fez was out, because well, the before, post, the post Japanese developers comment and all that stuff. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so sorry, to, we're, like I feel we're sidetracking a lot, but I don't know. That's like fine. there was a some recent stuff with him where he's kind of like, why aren't indie devs more transparent about numbers and stuff? Because like I didn't, I for some reason this was like my own little internet bubble thing. Like I've Fez apparently has sold five hundred thousand copies across all platforms. And I was just like, oh, weird. Like, just based on the number of people I hear talking about that game, I assumed that number was, like, four times that big. And, yeah. like, I just have no, like, real perspective on that. Like, I don't know, like, I guess coming from, like, a, like Forza and, you know, Zynga background, like, that that's some big companies right there. But yeah, the, the numbers matter so much more the smaller you get, right? So... I, I don't, I'm not asking like, so what's the financials on Fryfox, but you guys. <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I probably couldn't like speak to it very intelligently anyway. Right. But like, what's the pricing model with that? Like, I've only recently been playing it. Like, is it, would you describe it as like a free to play? Cause like, I was kind of playing with my turn. Are we talking as, about Triple Town? Yeah, I'm talking about Triple Town. I guess that's the, the one I'm most familiar with. Are you playing on mobile or like on the web browser? I'm playing on mobile, I guess, the iOS version. On okay. My phone. Yeah. So uh, there's there's microtransactions, so you can buy you know kind of like a premium currency to buy special items. But most of our money comes from buying um, unlimited turns. I think I can't remember what they're at right now. It's like three or four dollars. Okay, so that's that's basically like unlocking. That's basically like buying the game. Like you download it for free. Oh, I like this. I'm gonna spend three dollars so I can play it whenever, all the time. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we try and fight that perception, but that's how we do it. (laughs) Well. Like, is that just because, like, the notion of a free... Like, I don't know. Like, I've actually looked at unlocking the full game without having to kind of keep feeding it forever is kind of a positive thing. Although I guess you're saying there's there's additional stuff you can continue to unlock. I mean, so you can you can play you can play for free forever. It's just like you yeah. have oh. turns that kind of decay and then regrow over over time. So oh. you're like gated in the frequency you can play. Um, okay, so you come back tomorrow to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it's you know the unlimited turns is more like you can you can play as much as you want, whatever. Um, and it's not really you don't really intend that to be like quote unquote the full game, and that the the free unpaid version is like not the full game. Well, right, right. I, I guess I, I'm trying I'm trying to kind of think through what I'm trying to say. I guess it's like that notion of at least it's not an infinite game. 
in terms of the amount you keep paying to it. Like, I, you're talking about donuts again, aren't you? Well, to some extent, there, you know, there's games like Simpsons Tapped Out or Tiny Tower. Or, well, actually, Tiny Tower ends. But there, there's yeah. games out there where you can never win, essentially. And this sounds like you might not be able to win, but you at least unlock, you know, fun forever. I don't think you win in Triple Town, though. You just play. And get yeah. points and do better, right? Like, yeah. I, I was doing poorly for a while. I was just clicking on whatever, like, wherever it was for some reason. Oh, you're going to have a bad time doing that. No, I know. I, I eventually was just like, I think I'm doing this all wrong. And I was like, oh, okay, never mind. I'm supposed to facilitate these combos myself and, like, yeah. get rid of these bears and all that stuff. And, no, it, it ended up, once I stopped just messing around, like, literally poking at it, trying to figure it out, yeah. I started having a much You gotta turn those bears into churches, dude. You, you have <laughs> Which sounds I guess play the game to figure out what that even means, but yeah, combine tombstones to make churches. Why churches? Towns. Um, towns have churches. <laughs> Small towns. I'm rationalizing. Triple it. towns. <laughs> you mean why churches, or why are churches built on the grave of bears? Yeah, that. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, what do you think the game's about? Building a town, killing uh-huh. bears. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So it's, there's, it's, a, there's this narrative kind of layer to it. Maybe. There is there is kind of a narrative layer to it. It's, it we, we kind of allude to it okay. subtly, and most people don't kind of pick up on it. Okay, but. I definitely haven't then. Yeah. I mean, no no one really notices it until we explicitly say it, but, like, you know, mm-hmm. Daniel Cook, the designer, like, let's just say he's got, at times, he's got kind of a twisted sense of humor. I feel bad. Like now we're gonna like spoil the magic of Triple Town. Like just knowing there's mystery to unlock is kind of exciting. But okay, <laughs> like you're just saying. Like I did appreciate almost immediately that it takes kind of like a slide puzzle type, th- or like you know just like matching groups together thing. But then adds at least some character and like place to it. Like it's like it's a place. It's not just like a box of diamonds or something. Right. It is a town, and you can make this town better. Right. By building up stuff, and you're just like, okay, like sort of harking back to maybe my messing around with Age of Empires days, where I'm just like, I'm just gonna gather berries and build villages, and then the whole war side of the game comes in, and that's not, that's not what I want. I just want to build towns. You just want to build those cathedrals. I do, and then just having like a sim- simple vertical one hand game where I can build little towns. That's that's yeah. that's a good idea. <laughs> And trapping bears in the forest until they die and turn into churches for your causes. Yeah. It's good times. That's actually the name of the game here. It's not Triple Town, it's Killing Bears. (laughs) So when I hear that bear sound, I ask her, Oh, you're playing Killing Bears? She's like, Yes. Or she's like, Okay, I'm going to go to bed and kill some bears. Like, All right. And I know what that means. We all know what that means. (laughs) Um, But. I, I don't know. Did you want to divulge some of the narrative elements of it, or just tease? Or should we talk about it after the recording's done? Yeah, we could do that. I think I I like your idea of not of keeping it a mystery. Yeah, right. It's just like, oh, there's more to Triple Town, and then leave it at that. And then yeah. now people have to go find <laughs> and then out. People are just like, oh my god, yeah. internet explodes. Kotaku, twenty four seven, just trying Center. to. Fix- Triple Town. It's the new thing since Fez. <laughs> I, I do enjoy mechanically, I guess, if per, assuming this is the case, like stories that kind of just emerge out of the mechanics or whatever. Like, I've been playing, well, 
I played this game called Seven Grand Steps at E3, and I just bought it in the Steam sale. But it kind of tells stories of different generations of families in like Greek society, but just by you clicking on it and playing it. Yeah. And like, there's no like, the, the, I guess there's written blocks of text that come up, but that seems kind of there's a bunch of variables in there. Of, or like, like real lives. Is that game. what you're kind of getting at? Or real lives to some extent, although that could be a more entertaining. It's a piece of educational software that kind of casts you in the role of someone somewhere on the planet, and then you kind of make your own little story by trying to just survive, basically, and have families and whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. Very, very stripped down visuals and whatever, but still a very interesting idea at its heart. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, are there any games out there right now that have been kind of tickling fancy or, you know, what I've been mind. playing lately? Yeah, yeah. If there's um, yeah, out. I mean, let's see, I got a, got a, oh yeah, from the Kickstarter thing, so I've been playing Towerfall. Yes, oh my god, yes. <laughs> okay. We, yeah. we just, just talked to Alec Holoka, who did the music for that game. Oh, awesome. But he awesome. was pimping Towerfall like it was his own game. <laughs> I think we kind of pushed that too, but I played Towerfall, it, it seemed really cool. I've been looking for a new yeah though, like you were a Kickstarter backer, so you actually get just, You have to order them, they don't sell them in stores up here. I yeah. thought oh but I thought major re- retailers partnered with them or something. In the US. Oh not in Canada. Not available in Canada yet, so you have to get it through Amazon. So I was literally wasting my time at Best Buy. But right. Yeah, because I spent a good hour looking for it too. Yeah. So, yeah. I brought it up to one of the guys there, he's just like, What? It's uh, probably not in Canada yet, dude. I was like, oh, okay. And that's the Best Buy guy. So so he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. The shirt and everything. Yeah. Anyways, how are you liking Towerfall? Uh, it's awesome. You know, I mean, I've I've only played it with, with friends a couple times, but it's, it's you know, super tight, really, really responsive. It feels, it reminds me of, like, a boiled-down Smash Brothers or something. Yeah, um, that's, that's the comparison point. And uh, it's got some like, I feel like some like Goldeneye influences or something with the, you know, the way they do the um, like all the variants and stuff you can put on the multiplayer matches and sort of make your own scenarios. And uh, uh, I love the what at the end of the match the uh, kind of awards like you know the most vindictive or the William Tell Award stuff like that. Okay. Uh, just classic. Getting the group of friends together to play that has that been kind of the hurdle in playing more of it or. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I I I played through all the single player stuff, and then basically have to talk friends over, you know, and and have enough controllers handy. So, are you doing PlayStation controllers on it, or how are you Bluetooth controllers? Uh, Did you just get four Ouya controllers? I've got one Ouya controller, and then three uh, Xbox 360 controllers. Oh, those work too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Although that's on like a that's on a game by game basis. I think like a individual developers have to implement the 360 support or whatever. It's not just like a, a, a global Ouya. It's not a given that that'll, that'll work, but okay. Right. Um, how are you feeling about the Ouya in general so far? Like, is that the um, it's, it's cool. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm not I'm not crazy about most of the games on there. Um, I Fair like I, I kind of like how it's so many of the multiplayer games are, you know, couch couch multiplayer like local multiplayer games and that's mostly because they don't really have a online game service so that's the only way to do multiplayer okay but, um it feels it feels kind of like you know like uh kind of delightfully old school like most of the games are just like pull up a friend and, and play 
Um, so I like it. I like that it's kind of a place for that. Um, from what I've read though about like the, you know, developers that are using it, you know, and, and just kind of like whatever stats you can get, it's just like, you know, it doesn't sound like a very exciting, uh, commercial, uh, venture right now. Like, uh, just yeah, sales wise and everything. There's been some kind of weird statistics coming out about conversion rates and more, more importantly, I guess, just like the number of people that haven't, yeah, that haven't spent any money on games at all because of all yeah. the trial runs and demos and stuff. Like, I don't know what the free version of Towerfall looks like, but apparently it's robust enough for some people to just kind of be like, eh, I'm good. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that conversion rate is also like, I don't know, frankly, the, the kind of average level of the quality bar. Is lower than people would expect. So I mean, you know, I I, I think I I downloaded like twenty something games, and I, I didn't even consider buying most of them. Um, yeah, it's just a means of trying out some demos, but yeah. But um, you know, I mean, like I love the the kind of like I love I love conceptually that the, the self publishing mindset, like how easy it is to get a game on the Wii. Yeah, that's really kind of exciting um, from an indie developer point of view. Uh, right. And um. Personally, I love making, uh, local multiplayer games. Um, you know, my, my hobby games, a lot of them, uh, kind of go that direction. So the idea of getting a game on a platform that is designed for, uh, local multiplayer is kind of tempting. Um, but, you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Well, just that, that seems to kind of be reminding me of like the Xbox Live indie arcade place or whatever, like not the arcade. But rather the indie game channel or whatever, where yeah. it was just kind of chaos in there. But that was yeah. kind of what made it cool because you could find something interesting. And whenever yeah. you do, it's like, wow, I found like a minor dig deep. This game is awesome. Yeah, and totally. You didn't expect that from like a one dollar game, but that totally worked out. Yeah. So I guess it might have some of that weird pioneer frontier kind of thing. I think like, I'm I'm but... still curious enough of like picking one up. Like if I stumble <laughs> on one. But I don't know, it's just something about the hurdle of going out of my way to track one down. It's like, yeah. I just want to walk into a Walmart one day and then be like, oh, sweet, and then walk out with a brand new game console. We could order two, and then we could split the shipping. Like, just partner up. Wouldn't it be the free Super Saver thing anyway? Don't they do that? Oh, yeah, maybe. If it's well, first party, but, like, sellers. I'm, but not, anyway. I'm not a gold member anyway, though. No, you don't have to be Prime member or whatever for that. Or Prime. You know, Amazon? Yeah. 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 Um, they're, they're pretty generous with shipping rates and stuff as long as you order enough. But, okay. So, Ui has been kind of of some interest. Um, I'm trying to, like, I guess we already kind of talked about the iOS economy to some extent, but like, I don't know. We were talking about pricing with Alcaloca and kind of like finding that sweet spot. And iOS <laughs> is kind of this weird place where like everything is supposed to be cheap seems to be. They the kind of limit. iOS kind of created a new sweet spot. Well, you know, yeah, but like, like it seems like just by tapping this larger audience, like the tolerance for higher costs is not there. Sure, yeah. Because I maybe because a bunch of people haven't been grown like growing up with like, oh yeah, I spent a hundred dollars on an N sixty four card. Whatever, that makes sense. You know, like you've been through much worse. Shadows like, of the Empire. Yeah, I paid ninety six dollars for Shadows of the Empire, <laughs> and I loved it. So that's you know. Who am I to complain? But then you get over there and it's like five dollars for an adventure game. And people get really like it's just kind of weird. So I don't know. Like it sounds like you know free to try out at the very least or get into a lot of stuff. And then four dollars like that is (laughs) from my perspective. But 
has that been a th- like can you guys kind of tweak that on on your end like hey see, we're doing a secret sale come on down or i don't i don't know like, on, do you on, get, on ios you mean yeah on ios like kind of how much tweaking with that stuff have you guys experimented with or is that really your your say on that or I don't know. I'm, I'm not usually like directly involved in those those kinds of decisions, but yeah, yeah, okay. been featured a couple times, and um, you know the pricing on like triple towns, like unlimited terms, for example, has definitely fluctuated over the, over time based on kind of like you know exactly what you're talking about is you know, kind of clashing with the um, expectations of the marketplace. Um, yeah, because you know it's it it really is about like the context of like of of what people expect from a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, like you said, the pricing of an iOS, you know, people are have very, very um low cost expectations for what a mobile game should cost, quote unquote. Um yeah, yeah. So so, you know, three dollars sounds like a fortune. Uh, but you know, those same people would go, you know, buy a Frappuccino for five bucks or, right. or like or or you know like it's like well I'm in line for this thirteen dollar movie or twenty four for D box Pacific Rim for example which is our favorite example right now um yeah. it's also a fun movie but um you know like oh I'm gonna play this little mobile game while I'm waiting and it's like well I'll, I'll only pay a dollar for this but this yeah. over here this five dollar Coke or whatever at the theater makes sense like th- yeah. there's a weird different I don't expectations there but I mean it's it's like it's human psychology right it's like basic you know, people value perception. Yeah, yeah, and it's like they they compare it to things that they know, right? So, um, you know, if a if all the games on iOS cost this, then that's the the bar that the you know human beings compare the prices to. So if all of a sudden yours is like three dollars more than what the market what they're used to, then it just sticks out as a bad deal and wrong, even if that three dollars is insignificant to the amount of you know, kind of like whatever the fun time you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you pay ten dollars for a two-hour movie, and then you play some mobile game for like twenty hours, and three dollars sounds like a lot of money. And it's it's just kind of weird. It doesn't really make rational sense, but it's just sort of like how we how we sort of you know, it's just like the way we sort of uh, make sense of that stuff uh, is just know. highly relative to where it's happening, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I'm yeah. And, okay, um, I guess we'll just kind of change gears here a bit to over to game jams. Like I saw yeah. there was a post about uh, this is I feel like I I am embarrassed by this. Uh, my like our friend and local game dev here, Calvin French, kind of had to just baffled shake shook his head at me for this. I didn't know Lunum Dare was like a thing, <laughs> and he was just like, "Oh no, dude, that's like." Oh, game jam. Yeah, I that bet is, he gave you shit for it. Yeah, I was like, he was just baffled that someone who has been talking about this stuff for as long as I have just had no idea. But okay, Lunum Dare twenty two, you you submitted some stuff. Like, how long have you been doing game jam stuff? I guess generally because that has been um, a running trend too. And sure, yeah. I think I, I think my first game jam was um, Global Game Jam like several years ago. Um, okay, I think it was. I think Fuji was. 2010 that was my first game jam game okay. um, i've done a, like five or six since then um so i, I try and make out to global game jam and then i've done a few um little dares or, or little 
Little Dares. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't resist the Latin pronunciation for whatever. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Sorry, I, that's that's how little I know about it. But no, it's okay. fine. I, mean, I took Latin in high school, so I just assume that's what it was, and people look at me when I'm crazy when I say it. So okay, I think, I think majority people say Little Dare, and so that is the right pronunciation because majority. Mm-hmm. So okay, um, but. Like how how do you feel about game jam stuff in general? Like those experiences, do you kind of thrive on that creative energy that happens there? Or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially the first couple I went to, they were extremely educational to me. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think there's a lot of um, it's a very quick and efficient way to learn um, some really key lessons to game development. I mean, the biggest one is scoping an idea, um, right, right? Like being able to take a concept and be like boil it down to something you can do in a weekend is an extremely difficult skill that a lot of new game game developers struggle with. So it's a great kind of um, low stakes way to learn that lesson. Um, so like if you do two or three game jams, you kind of get that down. Um, and then you also you know you you know you you've learned some basic stuff about you know just working with the team and 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 making a game and putting it out just like. Simple things like that, like finishing a game is actually kind of a crucial skill with game development that a lot of indies um, uh, don't get to or don't sort of realize is a, is a skill you can practice. Um, okay, so, yeah. So game jams give you the ability to do that. Um, the you know, But I, I've kept on doing them. Um, like I said, I've done like six or maybe seven. And mm-hmm. after a while, I've... I feel like I'm getting less out of them in a sort of like life lesson sense. Like I feel like I've, um, you know, I've sort of, I've sort of uh, learned those, learned those things from game jams, and, and now I just sort of do them because they're fun. Um, okay, but there's still cool. enjoyment to be had there, like even though you're yeah. not a seasoned veteran. But okay, yeah, totally. I mean, it's like, a, yeah, it's totally, it's it's totally like kind of self-destructive because it's like you know I work. I, I develop games all week, and then the idea of like throwing away my whole weekend when I'm just be recharging and like burning the candle at both ends, <laughs> making a game yeah. again, like yeah, I totally yeah. destroyed for Monday and Tuesday, um, and for some like half-formed game, and it's like it's totally a bad idea, but and and I, I I know that intellectually, and then some friend of mine is like, hey, you want to do a game jam this weekend? I'm like, yes, I just sign up for it. <laughs> it just sounds so exciting. You know, okay. So, Regret it on Monday, but you know it's it's, it's always fun. That's such a like yeah, it's like a it's like you describe it as though it's like a bad habit, like binge drinking or something. But it's like <laughs> this creative outlet. So. I, I think yeah, kind I'm of regret this on Monday, but let's go make some video games. Like, yeah, that's, totally. That's, that's totally fine. But um, so you're primi- primarily using Flash or what? What are yeah? The I mean, programming wise, I'm most comfortable in Flash, so I'm not, I'm I'm a I'm a Mediocre programmer at best, so I, I don't venture very far out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Flash games. And you like Flixel? Yeah, Flixel's pretty cool. I got into it several years ago, and it's just like, I don't know, I, I always sort of dig the, the kind of retro pixel art uh, look and feel for games, um, which it does really well, and um, it's the same thing. I'm used to it, so it's a, it's a quick and dirty tool for me to, to get a game out there without having to learn new tech. So was Station 38 your first Flixel game? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. That's probably one of my favorites. It's infuriatingly addictive. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. That's what I was going for. 
Should you play that one yet, Nathan? No, no, I haven't. It's Can like uh, like what's yeah, the gameplay loop. You know that yeah. um, what's that game called? Where you're like la- space lander, I guess. Lunar like, oh, like lunar, lunar lander. lander. Kind of yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah, that. Okay. Only it's physics based and yeah, it's you use mouse clicks to for your trajectory and your power and momentum and stuff like that, but. You take damage when you fall too hard and stuff like that, so you have a life bar and you have a fuel gauge, so you can't just keep flying all the time. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of... I'm bad at explaining it, but super fun. It's one of these things that's like, oh, I'm actually really good at this, and then you get to this level and you're like, nope, I'm not, (laughs) because I keep dying because I keep hitting this too hard. I'm not good at doing the boost to save myself when I'm falling, so... yeah. I gotta get better at that. You should. My head is just Lunar Lander now, but okay. I'm not <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely channeling Lunar Lander, so you're probably pretty close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like I'm just looking at some of the other games here, like Three Blind Mice. I was playing a little bit, and that is um, based off the classic little fairy rhyme thing. Like it's kind of like you just put in directions for your mouse to go, and you yeah. try to get all the cheese and not get eaten by the cat. Yeah. Oh, while well, blind. Kind of like a me- yeah, it's a memory game basically. Yeah. Oh, okay. You, you like tap out your controls on the arrow keys or whatever, and your avatar doesn't move until you until you stop tapping, and then it follows like the directions you tapped out. But so you have kind know. of a time limit too. Yeah, and if you so if you if you miscounted into a a mouse trap, the little mouse hole in time. Um, yeah, that was a funny game. Um, it was, I, I did that in like a month, mostly as just like a, as practice. Like it was, it was kind of a quick idea, and I was like, well, I'm not like super excited about this concept, but it's simple to execute. I'll just crank it out in a month and get some practice making a game, finishing a game, like, like that thing I was talking about earlier. Mm. Um, and I did it, and then, um, you know, I hooked up some like basic analytics, like I do to most of my games, so I can track how many people play it, how how far they get, and all that stuff. And three blind mice is super buggy. Um, I don't know if you ran into any of the horrible bugs where it like plays the cat sound really loud and loops it. No. Um, there's some really frustrating bugs that I'm kind of embarrassed about and I'm too lazy to fix. But despite all that, like you know, like a couple of years later, I like look up the stats and like three by blind mice has like by far the most plays of any of my goofy little flash games. Um, like for whatever reason, I, it got picked up on some like. Um, international web portals um, and, like, and and I guess maybe because translation is not a big deal because you can kind of just figure the game out. I don't know. Yeah, okay. But, I've like, kind of been thinking of that as like a weird hurdle that people kind of invite with the more explicit narrative stuff they invite into their game, whereas if you just make something purely mechanical, it's a universal thing all of a sudden. Yeah. You yeah. don't need to worry about translation because it's just like, oh no, I understand. I Like, I just... I got it. I played it, and I I understand. You know, like te- like that kind of Tetris, or I guess if we're gonna use an example, like Angry Birds, maybe mm-hmm. you just throw birds at it. People that, that you know, universal language of slapstick comedy. I don't know. <laughs> throw, to uh, got yeah, throw, totally throw a bird at it. Throw a bird at. It. Oh, that's almost like a riff on that Portlandia joke. Good job. There you go. I don't know if you were consciously doing that, but anyway. Um. Oh. Whoa. What? There's an ant. They're back. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. 
Also, yeah, and then I was playing some Where I Go at Night, which is a real cool game, but it's a two-player game, so I was playing against myself, and I won and lost at the same time. Yeah. Good job. So that game is basically, it's like a werewolf-type thing where you play a guy that's a werewolf. Well, okay, so you play as a guy, and you're supposed to get these uh, potions or elixirs or whatever, and like set up barricades and then it'll switch over to the werewolf and that's what the other player plays like it's mm. the same character but there's like a day and night cycle sort of thing so then the other player tries to kill as many people as they can and then at the end it's just like here's your score and then who won and i lost and won because i trapped myself Wait, you're saying it's the same guy but he then becomes a <laughs> werewolf and is out of control kind of Right, but then the other... Pl- it's a single keyboard, two-player game. Okay, okay. Yeah. Right, so you, you take turns playing the same... Controlling the same character, essentially. And whether he's a different. man or a wolf. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you, and you have conflicting objectives. So, like, the wolf is trying to kill as many people, and the human is trying to, like, collect points. <clears throat> and um, basically playing play defense, trying to prevent the wolf from getting kills. <clears throat> I, okay, that's an interesting way of kind of, yeah, because like in the movies, a lot of times it's like, well, I gotta lock myself up or do something to prevent going on a murderous yeah. rampage. That's exactly what you do. You can like, as a human, you can like put down barricades and you put yourself in a a, a building away from people and barricade the door and okay. slow your wolf self down enough so they don't get a lot of points. Hmm. <coughs> yeah, I haven't played it, but that that sounds that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. It was pretty cool, and I didn't know what I was doing at first, so that's how I won and lost, because as the guy, I went into a building, and I just barricaded a whole bunch of stuff, and then I turned into the wolf. I was like, oh, crap, now I can't get out and kill people. So, there you go. Win and lose. There you go. I guess, if I if I may, like I, I'm kind of curious, just with next gen kind of coming along... Uh, like you, you talked about the Ouya, like are you interested in kind of the big consoles developers and stuff, or yeah, is that not PS4 really where you? Xbox yeah, like PlayStation Four or Xbox One, like both kind of announcing different publishing strategies and whatever self-publishing smaller developers. Yeah, like, are um, you interested in any of what they have on offer? Or I'm, I'm, I'm interested in like kind of like the vague curiosity sense, but I'm yeah. not o- overly excited about developing for or owning any of those. Uh, consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of like a half PC, half console gamer, and casual amount of engagement. So like, I don't even play that many games these days, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But so I'm not I'm not like chomping at the bit to to replace my Xbox 360 or or, or you know, maybe if some killer games come out that I just can't I can't resist. You gotta get that new Battlefield. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then, and then, you know, development-wise, it's like, you know, I kind of want to see what the self-publishing really looks like, and and um, what the marketplace starts to look like. Because um, mm-hmm. you know, like 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 you pointed out, like the 360 has self-publishing in the form of the Xbox uh, indie games channel, and but it, it's well, got yeah, like. If that's the form that the self-publishing takes, then it's like, is that a, a, a viable commercial venture? Probably not. Because it's- I, I mean, it seems like they're a little like I don't like. I mean, they they stopped supporting X and A. Like we talked to 
uh, Ian Stalker, the developer of Escape Goat, and yeah. he, he worked on there. And yeah, like it just seems Microsoft has not been super keen on maintaining some of that stuff. So they're probably taking a different tact on it now. Yeah. But yeah, who I, knows? I think it's like there's a lot left to be seen. So it's it's just kind of promises right now. Yeah, I'm, for sure. So I'm sort of like. I'm, I'm sort of just like cautiously like, yeah, I'll see what happens. But, you know, I mean, in, in general, like my, my, my hobby games are, are geared towards browser, web browsers and stuff. Because like I said, I, I make flash games because they're easy. For me. And, yeah, that, uh, that definitely, like, I mean, we talked to, uh, the gentleman who made Frog Fractions, Jim Crawford, and he yeah. does kind of browser based stuff too. And that seems to be kind of, well, it's a kind of a universal platform. In a way. Yeah, exactly. If you and have the internet, you have access to it pretty much. Yeah, so. and it's like, you know, things like, um, I mean, SpyFox, our, our development cycle is usually to go web browser first. Um, mm. and then once we like prove out like, uh, the kind of, the, prove out the design, we've iterated it on the browser or like, you know, really into the game and, and it's making money. Then we start porting to other, uh, platforms like mobile. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, the big reason of that is it's just so easy to, um, in the web browser to make updates to your game. Like there's no, there's no gatekeepers, like, you know, like Xbox where you're like, where you have to resubmit some update for certification and wait for them to okay it and then blah, blah, blah. iOS does the same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. On, on web browser, you literally just like update something on, on our server and the people get a different game and there's a lot of ways to, <clears throat> push um uh customers through our games through like you know ads and stuff so if we, if we test add some new feature and we'll want to see how it's how it's uh we want to gauge consumer reaction we can just you know buy some some uh users essentially through advertising and, mm-hmm. and they'll send us x number of people and we can see how that how how those people uh engage with the new feature and, and it's just a really great really flexible kind of um, testing ground for, for proving ideas out. Mm-hmm. Um, and since, you know, in general, Sprite Fox, we, we try and all our games try to be um, kind of like wacky and out there. Um, as a result, they're kind of unproven ideas. So mm-hmm. like they require that sort of iteration in the wild. So it just sort of works well for us. So both, both professionally through Sprite Fox and my personal game making habits, um, are mostly web browser-based, so developing for a console is sort of... It's kind of like a... Oh, that'd be kind of neat, I guess, to have a game on a console, but it's not something I'm, like, legitimately excited about. Okay. Um, I, I may have lost kind of the lo- locale or whatever. Is Spry Fox in Seattle, too, or...? Um, so we're based in Seattle. Like, we have... Um, um, five or six full-time employees in Seattle and um, our office, if you want to call it an office is in Seattle, but our office is like a retrofitted barn in our city okay. backyard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but we almost entirely work remotely. So even, even the Seattle folks, like I, I see Daniel like once a week, David once every couple of weeks when we do like live meetups, but for the most part, we, we conduct all our business through Skype. So uh, the rest oh, of our, right. the rest of our company is distributed. You know, we've got, like a, you know, a guy in the Netherlands, got a guy in Argentina, got a guy in the UK, just all over the place. Um, guy got a guy in Canada. Uh, mm. So um, for the most part, we don't have like a. As I was just trying to lead in, kind of asking 
if there's local dev meetups or anything like that, or if you just kind of don't see each other a lot, like depending on where you are, I guess. Oh, and with Sprite Fox, I mean? Yeah. Or, well, I mean, just generally, like, do you guys like touch base with other local developers where you're at? Um, I do. Um, you know, and, and Daniel is somewhat involved. Okay. Uh, I, I, Daniel and David, uh, do in sort of like a, um, kind of a business networking capacity. And I kind of, there's, there's a bunch of kind of independent, uh, game developer groups in, in Seattle and Portland. And, okay. and I try and stay kind of active in those. I like, you know, just hang out with those people and go to those meetings occasionally. Okay. I just, I'm just kind of gathering recon to see how we can do that better here. <laughs> but yeah, it's just been kind of quiet on this front. Kind of dry here. I think, I think there was a new group of developers meeting up though. Like Calvin was retweeting some people. So there might be stuff going on. So new people? It might, it might be happening. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Calgary 2013. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. But okay. Um, I guess we we typically ask about Greenlight and stuff, but it sounds like that's not really a point of, you know, like you guys don't really develop for that kind of PC-centric thing, right? Like, do you guys yeah. pay attention um, to that kind of initiative or not really? I mean, we're, we're looking at, at porting some games to Steam, but um, I don't mm-hmm. really know much about Greenlight. I don't think we... Um, I'm, I don't think we're going the Greenlight route for getting on steam so okay can't really speak intelligently about that yeah okay um i'm I'm trying to think like touch on like is there anything kind of coming up that you want to shine a light on or kind of spotlight or just hey go Um, go find that story in triple town uh yeah go find the story in triple town keep an eye out for steve birds forever which will hopefully be going into open beta sometime soon Mm-hmm. And uh, Road Not Taken is our other already announced game. It should be out by the end of the year. Okay. And like your your flash based stuff, like what what's the site for that? Uh, it's all on my website, so patkemp.com. Okay. Um. All right. Nice. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and we'll see everybody later. Great. Thanks, guys.